the voice of the Lord. When we come here in the house of the Lord, this is the time to set aside all of our uh, earthly cares, to not wear our emotions out on our sleeve, to be consumed with ourselves. This is a time where we come and join in with all of creation and say, glory, glory. And that's what Psalm 29 is about. Glory. And as we think about the glory of the Lord, let's now turn to His Word in Matthew 13 and consider some of the mysteries that He has revealed to His people and some of those same mysteries that He has concealed from others. Let's begin in verse 1 as we begin this new section, which we often refer to as the kingdom parables. As we now enter into a new section of Scripture, hear the Word of God from verse 1. I'll read through verse 17 while we'll actually be focusing on verse 10 through 17 this morning as we begin this chapter. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and then they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. When the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Whoever has, to him more will be given, and to him and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I will speak to them in parables, because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing, you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing, you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes, and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their hearts, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Our gracious Father, as we come to this passage today, this is a passage over which there have been great misunderstandings and continue to be great misunderstandings, even among conservative people, among believers. How much even more so those who do not know Christ. We do ask that you would open our eyes that we might see more clearly the mysteries of the kingdom that our eyes would be fixed upon Christ and our hearts would long to see Him 
in greater clarity and fullness, yea, even face to face. Lord, we ask that the Spirit of God would give us not only the spiritual understanding of the Scriptures this hour, but also to apply it to our lives and to save us to the uttermost. If there is one here that cannot yet see or hear, we ask that the Spirit would open up their hearts to have them to be attentive to the things of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, Amen. You may be seated. Well, chapter 13 is what many have referred to as the chapter of the kingdom parables. And we find in this chapter seven parables, and all of them are about the same subject matter. That's the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew calls it, the kingdom of God, as Mark and Luke call it. But yet the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are referring to the same subject matter. This chapter is directly connected contextually with what has just been uh, gone before, the, the immediate preceding context. Uh, and that is why on ver- in verse 1 it says, and on that same day. And when Matthew does this, and you remember how he arranges the material, not merely chronologically, but thematically. And he makes a point here that what he is doing is he's linking contextually what he is about to say regarding these kingdom parables is connected to what he just got finished revealing in chapters 8 and 9 and particularly in 11 and 12. And you might remember that in chapters 11 and 12, Matthew is revealing the response that Jesus had to those who were either doubting or disbelieving from the doubts of John the Baptist in chapter 11 to the hardened culture that we see in chapter 11 to the rejection of the Pharisees in chapter 12, right up to the very misunderstandings of his own family at the very end of chapter 12. And then on that same day, he goes on to say, seeing that we come down to this particular passage, we are understanding something now of these kingdom parables, or as we get into them, connected to those doubting or disbelieving people and their responses. So when we come down through this time, and then we come to the place in verse 10 where his disciples come and say, Lord, why do you speak in parables? And that's the subject matter this morning, and perhaps maybe the title of the message, why did our Lord speak? In parables. And we will come back around to verses 1 through 9 in greater detail, but this morning I want to focus more intently on verses 11 through 17 because in this extensive answer is the reason why he spoke in parables. And I thought that would be a good introduction as we begin our chapter on these parables. Why? So what's going on here when we broadcast the Word of God and share the Gospel and there is so little positive response to it? What's going on there? And the kingdom parables are to help us to understand the answer to that. What is going on? If there's anybody's ministry who should have been well received, it would be Jesus. I mean, the the perfect sermon. uh, The perfect ministry with all the miracles and the the, the, the works that he did to verify the very truth that he was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. If there's anybody who should have had a positive response, 
to the message of the kingdom, it would have been our Lord as we think about it naturally. But why was that not true? And why is it not true when you share the gospel that oftentimes you don't receive a positive response to it? The kingdom parables are here to help us to understand what's going on. So first of all, I want us to notice two aspects. And the first of all would be the first aspect. The second of all would be the the second aspect. But the, the first aspect of why Jesus spoke in parables is given to us in verse 11. And it says to you, it has been given the mysteries to know the, the to you, it has been given to know the mysteries of God. The first aspect of why he spoke in parables was he was informing his disciples that they were very special objects of his grace. They have been chosen by God to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. For those that can understand the truth, it is the same as true for them, for you, as it was for them. You are objects of God's special grace that you might understand the mysteries. And so from that one statement, to you, it has been given to know those mysteries. We see the first aspect of giving them parables was they were revelatory in nature. They were to help reveal something about the kingdom. Something about God. Something about the way He's working. Something about the nature of the kingdom, which was in their day grossly misunderstood, and in our day is as well. A parable is a kind of comparison. A comparison with something that is really well known with something that is not well known. So that in what is really well known, I might come to understand more of something that was not well known. The parable comes from the word, uh, from a verb that means to cast alongside. So here's the thing I don't understand. The mysteries of the kingdom, for instance. And the Lord comes and he casts alongside of the mysteries of the kingdom so that I might understand something I previously did not understand. And that's what he's doing here with his disciples. The kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is compared to. In seven parables in this particular passage is that casting alongside to help us to understand by this likeness or this comparison. Because the disciples lacked understanding. But what they did understand is they understood farming and fishing. They understood baking with leaven. They understood those things. But even then, there was some misunderstandings regarding the parables. They didn't always get it. Out of those seven parables, Jesus took the time to explain two of them. And from those two, then they had a pattern of understanding how this casting alongside would come along to help them understand uh, how to interpret the Scripture, how to understand those things. And while parables are given to help people understand, they are often greatly misunderstood. They still are to this day. But Jesus was speaking in this parabolic language specifically 
to his disciples in this time so that they might understand the mysteries. It was helpful. It was revelatory. But the key ingredient to understanding the parables, as it is with any of the Scripture, is not wisdom. It's not great knowledge. It's not some sage upon a mountain that you can seek out to find all of the answers. In fact, um, really it is boiled down to one kernel truth. And for you to understand the Scriptures, for you to understand the parables, for you to understand the easiest of Scriptures... And for you to understand the most difficult and complex ones, it boils down to this one kernel truth, and that is faith. This is the old argument between Augustine and Pelagius when Pelagius would say, we have to first understand the things in order to believe them. And Augustine said, oh, no, no, no. You must first believe in order that you might understand. We are very Augustinian in that respect because the Scriptures reveal that that is the fact. It's not great wisdom or knowledge. It's not an understanding that then leads us to faith. It's really the faith that leads us to an understanding. Now, actually, I really don't know how that works all the way. That's kind of a mystery. But we do know from Scripture because on one uh, occasion, a non-Jew, Canaanite woman of all people, came to Jesus and pleaded with him to heal the daughter that was possessed with many demons. And Jesus looked at her and said, um, it is not good to take of the children's bread and give it to the dogs. He said, and she said, um, yes, Lord, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the children's table. And not only did he answer this, this non-Jew, this Canaanite woman that came to him believing that he was indeed the Messiah, but she was not only understanding what he meant by that statement, but she yielded to it, as harsh as it may sound in our ears, and she answered him. In fact, it's my, to my knowledge, it's the only person that not only understood the parable, but could answer him in the same kind of parabolic language. And she says, yes, Lord, but the little dogs eat the crumbs which come from the master's table. Would you please do this for me? Let a crumb fall. And then Jesus answered and said, oh, woman, Great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. Where was her understanding? It wasn't because of some deep hermeneutic principle that she was able to unpack. It wasn't because she had great understanding. It was because of her faith that she understood who the Lord was, what he could do, and she yielded herself to that and then came to him and pleaded with him to hear her prayer, and he did because of her faith. It was her faith that gave her understanding of what Jesus meant to the extent that she could answer the Lord back in the like and in that kind of language. And on another occasion, Jesus was warning his own disciples then when Jesus was speaking about the leaven of the Pharisees, they misunderstood him thinking about uh, because they didn't bring food after he had fed the 5,000, after he had fed the 4,000, and he kind of rebukes them and he says, you know, you don't understand, O oh, you of little faith. 
he links their faith, or the lack of it, the little bit of it, to their not being able to understand his word. And it's the same for us today. For you, he says, it has been given to you who believe to understand the mysteries of the kingdom. Now there's a second reason or a second aspect that the Lord spoke in parables. And that's given in the last part of chapter or verse 11. But to them, it has not been given. Now, the Lord knew that this would be difficult not only for his disciples to understand and perceive, but he also knew it would be difficult for us. And that's why he went ahead and spent the bulk of the rest of the passage in verses 12 through 15 to help us and help them to grasp a remarkable but a difficult truth. And this is where we're just going to have to let God be God. On the one hand, the parables were revelatory. They were revealing. But on the other hand, the parables were concealing. They were intended to hide the truth from certain people. And that explanation of their concealing nature was well-rooted in ancient prophecy. And the first thing, the first part of Jesus' explanation of their concealing nature is to inform them that to whom has, more will be given. That's what he says in verse 12. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And he will have an abundance. Now, what is it to have? Have what exactly? And he answers that question right in this very passage in verse 16 when he says, But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. The that the disciples had were seeing eyes and hearing ears. All those miracles that they had witnessed in chapter 8 and chapter 9. They could see those miracles that Jesus did, and they believed, but there were many who were right there with them. In fact, multitudes and crowds of people who saw the same miracles, but they could not perceive. And they had hearing ears. With ears, they did hear. Well, what did they hear? The wonderful Sermon on the Mount from chapter 5 through chapter 7 of Matthew. Well, that was also spoken in a crowd and a multitude of people. But they did not have ears to hear. The disciples had ears to hear. That's what they had. So even what you have, the Lord says to them, more will be given and you will have an abundance. What is it that those are given that no one else gets? To know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But there's the other side of the equation, which he goes on to express, but whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. What do they not have? They do not have seeing eyes, and they do not have hearing ears. So even the little bit that they have, even 
the, the little bit that they did grasp, or even the beginning of the dawning of understanding, even that will be taken away from them. In God's economy, the seeing eye gets more. And the unseeing eye is deprived from the little of what he did see. And this has been an eternal principle all the way from Genesis through our own day and will be to the end. And that's the principle that's going on in these parables in chapter 13. The seeing eye is one who has faith and has given himself to follow Christ as God's Messiah. And the lights go on. And the unseeing eye are those who do not believe in Jesus of the Bible. They get confused with these parables. Perhaps maybe as they're sitting in the the pew and the pastor or the teacher begins to explain things and they begin to track with him a little bit. But then, when it's all done, he's kind of confused and on a muddle and can't make sense out of it all. And that's what the Scripture is meaning. That's how we are to interpret what's going on with the doubting and disbelieving people when they respond to the gospel in this way. In verse 13, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. We have here an account and a quote that is now going to proceed in quoting from that passage that we read a bit ago from Isaiah chapter 6. But what makes this particular quote all the more remarkable is revealed in those parallel passages from both Mark and Luke's gospel when Mark says, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not hear and understand. Now, Mark and, and, and Luke reveal something grammatically here that Matthew does not, and that is a causative reason why they did not see and why they could not hear. In other words, it was God's purpose and intention that they would not understand the truth when they heard the parables. lest if they did, they would repent and be forgiven. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute, Pastor. I thought that was exactly the point when you preach the gospel is to call people to repentance and to the truth that they may repent and be healed. And we are to call people to that yes, But the Bible answers and says that is not always God's intention in that when we preach the gospel. The Bible says, no, that is not always the point. Sometimes the purpose is not to bring repentance and forgiveness, but sometimes it's something different than that. Nevertheless, we are to be faithful with the truth. Stonewall Jackson would say, duty is mine, the results are God's. Now, are you happy with yielding yourself to what God's intentions, His results, and what His mind and His thoughts would be, even if we don't understand it or comprehend it? 
He says, I speak to them who have unseeing eyes in order that for my purpose that they may not see. That's a remarkable statement. Now, some people, this is where they're challenged. And they, they can't really agree with that. I mean, I see that that's what the Bible is saying. But, but it really can't mean that. They're projecting a particular thought or image or doctrine or understanding or some hermeneutic of their own perspective upon what they then will think God should be like and what He is like. And therefore, they come to a black and white passage of Scripture and they say, well... You know, I, I see that's what it's saying, but it, it, it's got to it's got to mean something different. And that is why it's sometimes hard for us to receive what I call the raw truth. And let's admit it, it's sometimes hard, isn't it? But the ramifications of this truth are fearful for any church in any culture. You think about it for a minute. If you could just roll back the veil for just a bit, and you could see God and His mind at work, and that was something that you are now privy to, and you then hear Him speaking to Himself and say, says something like, um, to this one it has been given, but not to that one. I'm not going to give it to that one. And as remarkable and as difficult as that is to accept, that is a principle that was rooted from the very beginning in all of Scriptures and deeply rooted in the prophecy that came before it some 700 years. And Jesus says, this is being fulfilled in your very midst today. And you know what? It's still being fulfilled in our very midst today as well. In verse 14, it says unto them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. Hearing you will hear and shall not understand and seeing you will see and not perceive for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Now, the quote from Isaiah, which is the remarkable thing because Isaiah had just saw the Lord in the year that King Uzziah died and he fell on his face and he says, woe is me. And by the way, when you really see the Lord for who he is, that'll be our response. It's the time that Jesus showed his miracle to Peter. and Peter's eye was just opened all of a sudden. He says, oh, depart from me, Lord. I am a sinful and wicked man. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Here was Isaiah. You can almost see the scene set up. Then Isaiah was cleansed and he was purged. And then he hears God say, who will I send? I said, here, I, here I am, send me, Lord. Any person that has ever called to be in the ministry... And you hear the Lord calling, and you raise your hand up, and you say, I'm here, send me. The very next line of Scripture is not one that the minister wants to hear. <laughs> You're going to preach, but they're not going to listen. 
And that was Lord's intention with Isaiah. He says, you're going to go and preach. I'm going to send you to preach the truth to them. But they're not going to hear you. I know our natural inclination. I know what my inclination is. Well, that's wasteful. Um, that doesn't make sense. That's not efficient. That doesn't. But God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And he says, Isaiah, I'm going to send you with the truth to preach, to make the heart of this people fat. That's the word there. Make their ears heavy and their eyes shut. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert to be healed. That's remarkable. Lord, why will they not understand and perceive? You know what his answer is? Otherwise, they would repent and be healed. Well, that is, isn't that what you want, Lord? No, not in this case. You're preaching to this people is to harden them. In fact, it is to make them more difficult to repent. It is to make their hearts fat. Your preaching will make their faculties of reception so desensitized in their hearts and so encased in flesh that it, their hearts will even have trouble feeling. Your preaching is just supposed to just pile it on until this people get fatter and fatter with all of that hearing until they just become lethargic and unresponsive. Like taking a calf and you fatten him up in the stall for the day of slaughter. And that is a fearful and a remarkable statement. Well, you know how preaching and continually talking about the Lord to someone who does not know the Lord, you know how that can happen to an unbeliever. It's even like a rebellious child in a home. The more you talk to the child about a particular subject in which he's obstinate, the more closed-minded the child becomes. My dad keeps nagging me about that. So one day, somewhere along in the path, uh, the dad wises up and wisely concludes it may just be best to stop talking about it because it just continues to harden him in his position. And the dad loves him. His heels, the boy's heels are just digging in. And the boy's conclusion is... Oh, it just doesn't matter to dad anymore. That's not at all what the dad's thinking. No, your dad is concerned that he's hardening you. It's, it's the same way with what, what God is telling a wife in 1 Peter chapter 3. He tells a wife who's even married to an unsaved husband, don't nag him. In fact, don't say much at all. You can win him with your quiet and meek spirit and your lifestyle, even without a word. Because you might be just hardening him and digging in when you just keep after him. It's the same with any kind of situation. 
I was one time in a pastor's office across the desk from him getting his counsel. And he was old, he had lots of gray hair, and he was someone I was uh, seeking counsel with. And he says, Marion, he says, there are those who just uh, about 20% of my congregation really just don't need me as their pastor. They're mature, and there's... Now, I, and I know what he meant. We all need a pastor in our lives, including the pastors. He says there's a, another percentage, um, whatever that was, the 60%, who really need me. They know that they need me as the pastor. And there's about another 20% that don't want me as their pastor. In fact, I had a couple in here yesterday, and they were having marital problems, and I was trying to help them through some things, and I realized at one point that what they really needed to hear, I did not feel that they were open to receive, and I didn't tell them. For about 10 years, I went back from that particular thing, meditating and contemplating and thinking on that particular occasion, and I, in my mind, at that point in time I was like well you should have told him anyway duty is yours results are God I'm giving all this kind of uh, uh, this, this argument in my mind of why the pastor should have told him even though that's what they needed to help him but he didn't feel like they were going to receive it he chose not to do that for about 10 years of my ministry, I, this was the early part of my ministry, I just really wrestled with that statement until finally I come to understand what he meant. Because there's been many occasions that people have come to me for counsel, and I've gone to a certain degree, but then I will go no further until I'm convinced that they will hear it. Because if they don't, all I might be doing even if I'm telling them the raw truth and what they really need to hear is causing them to dig in a little harder. Hardening it against that a little deeper. As a pastor, you're always hoping and praying for opportunity, for a softening, and for tomorrow to have opportunity to see them along as God would open their hearts. So if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. There are times when God sends a preacher to a people to harden them so that they will dig in because He has plans to destroy them. That is never a pastor's heart for his people. That is never a father's desire for his own children whom he loves. But God's ways are not our ways. and We are not God. There are times when he does not want to save a people. And what is remarkable implied in Isaiah's prophecy that if he did do it, if he didn't do it that way, they may repent and get saved. That's not his desire. So he sends them in order to stop their ears further. Because there are some people that God is so angry with their unbelief and their ungratefulness and their dishonoring of him that he is determined to destroy them now let me give you some illustrations and there are a number of them in the scriptures remember when samuel the boy was called and he goes to eli and he goes you know did you call me no i didn't call you go back and you remember that story and last time he said okay lord um is that you that's talking to me yes it is samuel 
Now that I've got your attention, I'm going to raise you up, and I'm going to destroy Eli's two sons. And I intend to destroy them because they did not listen to their father, and they have defiled and blasphemed me, and they are now beyond repentance, and I'm going to destroy them. Romans 1 speaks about a fallen people that are, becomes, can, can become so depraved that God, when they knew God, they did not recognize God as God, and neither were they thankful. So God turns them over to a reprobate mind. They can't even figure out what's right or what's wrong. As it was illustrated in a quote this week of what New York legislation has done in passing a bill, when they call it cruel and barbaric, to declaw a cat while allowing children who are just born to be killed. They don't even know what's right or wrong. And yet, this is the judicial judgment of God. Where He allows their own depravity to destroy them and they think that this is what we want and what we want is that which destroys us. There's a deception. And Matthew here in chapter 13 of Matthew and informing us this is what's going on in Jesus today and he's helping us to understand the nature of the kingdom even today. Because this is what's going on right now in the preaching of the word of God all around the world when the preaching is done it is drawing some men and it is hardening others but when the gospel is preached it never leaves the man the same. Bible informs us that God raised up Pharaoh for the very purpose that God's miraculous power and works would be displayed through him in hardening his heart. These are hard things. In fact, in Romans 11, Paul goes on to speak there in chapter 8, verse 8, or chapter 11, verse 8, and he quotes Isaiah 29. 10, which says that God has given this people over to a spirit of stupor so that they will not hear. In that passage that he quotes from Isaiah, it says God gave them a spirit of deep sleep to close their eyes to understand. And what the Bible is talking about in that context is this was being done to worshiping people. This was being done and communicated to a praying, psalm-singing, scripture-quoting people. And what was the problem is their hearts had grown dull. And you think about it in a service like ours, there is the possibility that our reverence is just something learned by rote. While we're imitating something that has been taught, Our hearts are truly not in it. We can tell if our bodies are here respectfully sitting, but our hearts are somewhere else. Maybe our hearts are in the park this afternoon. Perhaps maybe our hearts have already moved into fellowship time and longing for this time, or even somewhere far worse. The Lord knows, and perhaps you do too, you're here doing the road exercise of worship, learning to sit there respectfully, but your heart is far from the Lord. 
Paul goes on in the very next verse and he says, let their table become a snare and a trap. And even as a Christian, folks, and this is a warning to us all. When you and I have turned our back on godly counsel. Or we close our mind to something in the scriptures because I wasn't ready for it that day. How easily God could just say, all right, for the next 18 months, I'm going to close your eyes and I'm going to stop your ears. You are a believer. I will save you. I will renew you. But I will give you 18 months to a desensitized heart. Because you spurned my voice. Folks, that's that's a fearful thing. That's a fearful thing. But it's possible. Because God has done that with his people in the past. And how blessed it is to get up in the morning and to have eyes that can see, ears that can hear, and to read the Scriptures and to be moved by them emotionally with understanding of what God has done, with gratitude and thanksgiving. begins to spew from your mouth because you cannot hold it back. But on the other hand, it's a fearful thing to turn away. He who has ears, let him hear. For you who have been believing and yielding and not holding back from the Lord and the things that He wants for you, to you more will even be given and and more insight will be given. But for you who are doubting and misunderstanding and disbelieving or holding back, even those things which you have could be taken away. Or perhaps suspended for a season. The fearful thing is those who really don't have ears to hear. They often do not perceive that reality because their hearts have deceived them. But the sure answer to it all is to believe Jesus. Believe Jesus of the Bible. Believe that he's the son of God. Trust him. Accept him as God. Accept God as God and yield As hard as the truth and the raw truth can sometimes be. Just let God be God and receive him on his terms, not on yours. Take God at his word and trust him. And if you do that, then blessed are your ears that have heard and your eyes that see and your heart that understands. And you, to you, it will be given to understand the mysteries of the kingdom. As we move forward into those parables and begin to unpack them, this is something that you will have to understand by faith and not by an explanation that the the preacher, the pastor gives you. This is going to be something you need to pray for as we come to those kingdom parables that we might understand the mysteries of the kingdom. Embrace them and be moved by them and yield to them and love them. Christ is our answer. Let's pray. Our gracious Father in heaven, how thankful we are that the revelation of God has been given to us through Christ. For in times past, you spoke through the prophets. But in the fullness of time and in this age, you have given us Christ. And as sheep of his pasture, open our ears that we might hear his voice and follow him. 
and that we might know that the mysteries of the kingdom not only have been but are being revealed to us to know more of your wonderful love and grace to know of your mercy and truth and so we ask that you would open up the ears and and eyes of those who may be hardened this morning and soften them to with this this raw truth it's a fearful thing our great god we are not the ones who are in control but we are but the clay we cast ourselves upon your great mercy that you would make us vessels fit for honor and not vessels of dishonor. And we pray if there's anyone here that does not know Christ, that this day would be the day that he would receive him as Lord, God, and Savior, the Messiah that you've sent. If there's any hardened, difficult areas of our own lives that we're struggling with or obstinate in, we pray that you'd be merciful to us and soften us, that we would yield to godly counsel, that our hearts would be moved with great passion as the Scriptures are open and we can see the great things you're doing. And we pray you would encourage all of us this day in the, the truth of the Word and the promises you've given, knowing that your Word does not return unto you void, but it goes forth and brings forth the fruit that would please you. So Lord, teach us to be pleased and delighted in those things that delight you. And to hate those things which you hate. And to square ourselves up with the truth this day. As we call on Jesus as our Lord. And we pray it in his name. Amen.